This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Kayla Benny from Chestertown, Maryland. And I'm Charlie Brister from the land down under. And you're listening to the monthly breeding and horse sales episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for June the 25th. This, this episode is brought to you by Supreme Top Form. Good morning, Horse World. And this is a special episode on the fourth Thursday of every month. This episode which is the fifth show of the sales and breeding episode on Horses in the Morning. We're going to answer some listener questions, interpret some sales ad terminology, and speak with Andrea Baxter, an event rider based in California, about her chilly morning stallion, Coronado. We're going to close out the show again with Mark Donaldson, and we're going to talk about some gut health with our recently acquired new horse. Sounds like we've got a jam-packed show there. <laughs> so, Charlie, how are the things in the land down under? Well, as you might have heard, the Federation, Equestrian Federation, is going to hell in a handbasket. Got to love uh, a bit of infighting and politics. And, um, you know, some people have asked me to step up and use my political science degree, but I think I'll just stay in my lane and keep <laughs> running home. Keep uh, riding some horses with some flags and just keep your head down. Oh, 100%. And umbrellas because <laughs> we're getting rain now, so the umbrella is very handy. It's out in full force. Well, I'm glad that, uh, you know, America is not the only one that is crumbling around us and we can keep our horses to keep our sanity, right? Yeah, well, definitely, you know, we've got our own political problems, but if the horse federation uh you know folds that's probably even worse than the government folding really horses are life (laughs) that is true you have a point there so let's get away from politics because that bores me um and makes my head spin but we have a couple listener questions and uh do you want me to read them to you and you can give them some worldly advice absolutely i'll um Um, We'll do our best. Okay, so we're going to start with this one. It's a little bit long. Um, It's from a listener of Horses in the Morning, and she also enjoys Heels Down Happy Hour. So she has a question she'd love your thoughts on. I'm new to buying horses in the U.S. of A. Last week, I went to try a horse I was interested in buying. I was worried the horse would be snapped up before I could get a vet check organized, but they said if I could get the vet pre-purchase exam scheduled for the same week, they'd hold him. I made it clear that I was a serious buyer, and I drove eight hours in a single day to see this horse. The seller, who was the owner's representative and trainer, indicated they thought I was a good match for the horse. I began to range the vet check before I had even seen the gelding. After riding him, I contacted nine different vets in the area to find someone who would examine him as soon as possible. The next day, I was still working on this. I got a text from the seller saying that someone else had come to try the horse the day after me, made an offer, and didn't want a vet check. 
They gave me the opportunity to put in an offer and forego the vet check, but I replied that I thought it was wise to get the vet check and that I get one scheduled within a day. Um, I'm going to paraphrase the rest of it because there's about two more paragraphs, but needless to say, um, she lost out on the horse and the other person ended up buying it because she wasn't able to get the vet check arranged within the day. Um, so Charlie, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, this is definitely a tough one and it can be pretty frustrating. It sounds like uh, Louise yeah, driving four hours each way is a pretty big commitment and she was trying really hard to get that vet check to happen. You know, the, the seller, as you know, you know, we're, you know, just really trying to get the, the best deal for the person that owns the horse and you know get as much money and then for ourselves find a suitable home and for the horse i mean find a suitable home and a good fit so you know let's hope let's assume the seller um thought that this other person was also a suitable home and going to be good for the horse you know it's it's easy to see where they came from and, and they didn't want to wait to see if it failed the vet check in case because then the next person that came along might, you know, inquire about that. Um, but if if I'd had someone drive that far and then already organise a vet check, I would um, they'd be first in line for me to buy it, uh, and I would just be having that other person saying, "Well, you you know, you've got to wait a day or two. Uh, and and I find most people are happy to wait. 24 hours, 48 hours uh, to purchase a horse. You know, it's rare that someone uh, can't wait that long. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I've actually faced this exact situation. Mm. Um, I feel like she's writing directly to me. Um, I was representing a horse, and I had a person express interest. Um, we were trying to arrange a vetting. And in the meantime, I actually had someone come to actually just take pictures of the horse. And they fell in love with the horse and wanted to buy it. Um, and they didn't yeah. want the vet check. And I was, I, I'm representing the seller. Yeah. And so it's a really, you're stuck in a rock and a hard place. And I ended up, I presented to the person said, look, this, you know, this is the situation. They were not happy, but they did not want to forgo a vetting. But the owner of the horse wanted a guaranteed sale. Because once you go down the vetting road, then you start negotiations. You know, there's, in my mind, there's no perfect horse. You're going to find something on a vetting. Um, it's just what you can live with. And so, I don't know. It's it's tough. And the American market is a very fast market right now. So if you don't do something right away, you, you could miss out on a horse, but I mean, I think it's also things are supposed to happen the way they're supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And maybe that just opened a door that she'll find the right horse in the future. Cause clearly that was, you know, maybe not meant meant for her to have, have that horse. Exactly. Like you said, I think everyone has to remember, you know, what everyone else's interests are and the, the, the rider or the professional person selling the horse, you know, they, they just, um, 
they want to find a good home so nothing comes back on their reputation but then they also have to juggle that with the owner wanting yeah the guaranteed sale and i i think um you know i always say if you want it held you know you probably you need to put a deposit down you wouldn't expect um to go into a clothing shop or car sale yard and have them hold a car for you uh until my mechanic comes in a couple days to look at it you know unless you're going to put a deposit down or something like that so that might be something louise could look at in the future if she has a horse where she's in a situation like that saying can will you hold it for me if i put down a 10 percent deposit for example and then also you've just it's just part and parcel of the horse world isn't it you only get disappointed uh and be let down feel let down yep yeah yeah i've got an excellent horse for louise though if she's willing to fly to australia and do a two-week quarantine (laughs) and i will hold it for her (laughs) perfect i mean you know as long as you adjust it to her budget to fly the horse and herself both ways (laughs) absolutely it's only going to be two hundred thousand (laughs) dollars now um and now did you have another question for us i did actually so this one was just posted in the auditor room um the horse radio network auditor room and which is an exclusive room if you want to become an auditor um you should listen to horses in the morning and they will let you know how to do that. But we have, so this is posted and it's about a young horse. So it says hive mine. I need your help. I need expertise from those of you who know a lot about raising young horses. And then she tagged myself. Sorry for the long question. I have a beautiful two-year-old KWPN filly who has been living at the farm of a close friend. She is in a field with three other two-year-old warmbloods. I bought her as a yearling last summer, and this is my first baby horse. My friend was leasing the farm where my filly lives and for several reasons has decided to move to a new facility, which is a full stall board at $350 a month more. I don't want to pay that much per month for a stall at a lovely facility for riding when she is not ready to be ridden and just needs to grow up. So I have decided to move her when the month ends. I am moving her to a barn where our other two horses have a spot that has just opened up for pasture board. However, she will be out with three other mature mares. This facility does not have any other baby horses and is not experience in nutrition for young horses so my first question is what do i need to know about feeding young horses so i can make sure she is getting the right nutrition to allow her to grow properly the and i'm gonna skip through also any socialization concerns as she will no longer be with other horses her age thanks in advance she is my baby and i am equally excited to have her closer to and ex- anxious about changing her routine. Well, that's so. uh, a pretty legitimate concern. So that's a two-year-old KWPN filly. For anyone that doesn't know, that's Dutch warm blood. And, yeah, that sounds like it's going to be a bit of a change for her. But that's that's pretty normal. They're going to have to get used to, at, at this age, they've got to start moving around a little bit more because, you know, the rest of their life they're going to have to deal with little changes here and there. 
Yep. Uh, I think with nutrition, you know, two-year-old, they're they're pretty much eating similar food, the same food as an adult horse. So, you know, they might be getting a bit less than those older mares, uh, but I don't think for the for our two-year-olds here anyway, I wouldn't be giving them anything in particular, uh, just lots of access to forage and, and rough hay and, you know, if they need a little bit of extra bulk, uh, some some suitable pellets, but n- not going crazy there. Better to have them, a, I think, a little lighter than a little heavier. And, and with the moving in with the older horses, I think if the as long as the horses are being fed a little bit apart, you know, not having all the feed bins together where she's going to get run off her feed, I don't think it'll be a, too much of a problem. Uh, it's it's pretty normal they're going to have a discussion here or there, but we on our place put young horses in with older horses, uh, you know, quite regularly. And yeah, we just make sure there's plenty of rough hay around the paddock and we feed them a little further apart so they're not fighting in the same spot. What do you reckon about that one? Yeah. So I actually have a two-year-old and I would not question putting her out with an older horse um, as long as it's suitable, as long as the older horse isn't, is, is fair, you know, with their dominance, because I actually prefer them to be pushed around a little bit and have their ego knocked around so that they learn social cues that you just like, as a human, you can't teach them. Mm. So I um, I actually have my two-year-old in with a 15-year-old gelding who's quite dominant, but yet he's fair about his dominance. He just, he corrects them. He says, nope, you're not allowed to do that. Move away. Um, it makes my job easier as a trainer because then I can come in and correct her and she understands the social cues. So I'm not being, I'm not harassing her. Um, I'm not being unfair to her. She she understands that. Um, she also gets significantly less food than the older horse does. So what I've done with her, um, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't because she's a little, um, she's too smart for her own good. But I actually put a food muzzle, like a grain bag on her. Mm-hmm. And she gets just a handful of ration balancer because she's a very, very easy keeper. Um, she wants to be on the heavier side and I, she doesn't need a ton of calories. She's not working a lot right now. I play with her every now and then just to keep her socialized, but, um, she's mostly just hanging out in the field, learning social cues from her buddy blue. And I just put a handful of grain in her feed muzzle, feed him on the ground far enough away He's able to stand his ground, but she will walk over even when her feed muzzle is empty, pick up his tub, fling it through the air, um, and then run away going, ha, 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 ha. And, you know, she's like, yep, well, that's life. <laughs> like, I don't know how to correct that. So, you know, but she and then they just get free choice hay um, yeah. scattered about the field and they can eat together. They can eat separately. They do all of it. Um but I, I wouldn't be concerned about the older mares so much. Um, just as you just have to know where your horse stands and that she's not being bullied too much would be yeah, my. Definitely. You've got to, I think at that, at that age, they really, it's good for them to 
move out into a paddock with some some older horses definitely and you've got to expect a little bite mark here you know a little scratch there or a, a ripped rug you know that's it's all part of it a part of a horse growing up and yeah learning all that socialization so don't freak out if if they do get a little bite mark on them uh, yeah. as long as you don't see them being pushed into a corner and and you know run to a fence uh if it, if it gets to that i'll definitely look at moving them but any little biting and playing and wrestling and no problems with that at all i think it's good for them absolutely i mean i think as long as they're not being traumatized um you know a little knockabout here and there you know as long as they're not getting hurt is is good i mean it was good for me when i was younger right (laughs) have the older kids you know smack me around a bit stop stop behaving like that um it happens it, it only mildly worked Um, (laughs) so, but yeah, I think, I think it would be a good move. I think it's a smart move and, um, just let her be the baby horse that she is. Yeah. Let her be a horse, uh, as much as you want her to be your baby. That's the (laughs) the hardest part when owning horses. I find it's better to just put them there and and let someone else handle, deal with it and and not look at them every day. Exactly. Walk away. (laughs) But definitely, I think, as you know, at that age, they do need um, starting handling and, and grooming and learn those ground manners. Uh, so there is not that every day you're doing something with them, but you do start to think about how you can teach them that groundwork properly to lead them into, uh, you know, being started under saddle, et cetera. Absolutely. I mean, I think that with the young horses that I have at my farm and that I've seen elsewhere, if they're not handled, it, it can become quite shocking to them when they do come in to be started. Um, even just with the farrier having their feet trimmed, it can become dangerous for the farrier. So you need to do your due diligence and, you know, just pick up the legs. You don't have to pick the feet, just get them used to you being around the legs, um, leading away from their friends, going back, things like that that are going to make your life easier in the long run. Um, Actually, that's definitely, yeah, what you just talked about there, being able to lead them away from the other horses and back. That, I think, uh, is definitely something that you should do before you look at moving your horse to the new facility. You want, if you can get better responsiveness to the lead rope and halter pressure on the ground, then when the horse does get a little bit stressed out or unsure at the new location, they're much more likely to trust you and, and listen to the direction you're giving them rather than be freaked out by the environment and ignore you in that new space. So I think that's yeah definitely something that needs to be worked on ASAP to yeah. make things easier. The horse, the horse will get actually a lot calmer um, yeah. the better it listens to you and trusts you. Also, I think another point um, to your point is with the, you have also have to think about the trailering to the new facility um, and set her up or her, him, I, I'm unsure, but um, set uh, them up. Billy, Billy okay, is a right? Thank you for the correction. Um, <laughs> but um, set them up for success. Maybe put an older friend that's going to stay calm in this situation definitely um get on and off the trailer a couple times before you actually just move up uplift her life and uh 
shake her world up a bit, you know, drive around the block once, yeah. uh, things like that, and just do it in stages so it, it makes sense to her that she's leaving her one herd and moving into a different one. Yeah, and definitely make it progressive, like you said, a little bit at a time. Yep. And today's show is brought to you by Supreme Top Form. Hyaluronic acid works by inhibiting the formation of inflammatory products in joints, which cause pain and cartilage destruction. Glucosamine has been shown to counteract the negative effects on cartilage of steroid administration. Glucosamine also serves as a building block for new cartilage formation. Glucosamine and hyaluronic acid do not cause the significant side effects that non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents may induce. Supreme Top Form Joint Supplement is 99.8% pure hydrochloride and 99% pure hyaluronic acid. It is concentrated and easy to feed and cost-effective. It is independently lab-tested for purity, so you know that what you get is on the label. They have both dog and horse supplements, which is great for any horse person. You don't see many horse people without a dog. Visit Pan Am Vet Corps, that's C-O-R-P, dot com for more information. Well, I think we're going to hop right into our first guest, um, which is Andrea Baxter, who's a five-star event rider from California. Um, she actually has a young stallion who's by Chili Morning out of a four-star mare, Estrella. Um, actually, I guess she would now be five-star mare. Uh, she's by the Olympic silver medalist star man and out of a two-star mare and chilly mornings. Mom is also a grand prix show jumper. So there's some top competition blood in front and center in this young stallions pedigree. So I'm really excited to talk to Andrea about him. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of jump there. I think Starman <laughs> jumped uh meter 60 with Ann Kosinski. So welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> got to whip out the accent extra strong, huh? Yeah, that's all I've got going for me. I thought, um, I thought before we get into the breeding too much, I thought I'd ask if those uh, fires are near you at all. I saw Jennifer Wooten had to evacuate her farm yesterday. Is that in your well, area ironically, before? she well, ironically, she was just here um, at my facility. We had a big, uh, well, I shouldn't say big. We had a small gathering um, <laughs> under a certain uh, amount of people, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so we had a little show here this weekend, and she was here Friday and Saturday, and they left um, Saturday night, went home Sunday, and I'm pretty sure they were evacuated by noon on sunday so i i joke it was probably a bad joke but i sent her a text and said hey you can come you could come back here <laughs> your stalls are still open <laughs> come cross country again. So, but yeah yeah we're about two hours eh, maybe hour and a half uh north of her so we're not affected by it at all but um it is windy here in california though so that's never a good thing adding wind and fire Nope. So, Andrea, so what made you get into breeding? Oh, I've been doing it uh, ever. My mom kind of got me into it. Uh, I just, ever since I was a little kid, I can remember my mom always had a, a mare 
and we would fold it out and um i don't know just uh kind of a small time thing and my mom uh rode advanced back in her day and um bred everything that we ever had and i don't know just kind of been doing it as long as i can remember um and then my mom had a uh trail riding accident i don't know six years ago or so and she stopped riding and um i've been kind of having my little breeding program coming along and and i've definitely realized uh in those these last past years that it was it was a kind of a lot more fun when i had her to do it with uh you know it's been a, it's been a lot of work actually training these babies up and wrangling yeah. them and and um the whole thing kind of and they add you know, up I'm realizing quick, that, don't they yeah, they do. And I'm realizing over the years, I'm like, wow, that was really just kind of a hobby that we used to do. And now, you know, trying to get my, my, uh, trainer friends to help me. They're like, they have no interest in helping me out with this. <laughs> 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 it's definitely a labor of love of mine. <laughs> so, but it is. How, many, how many acres are you on, uh, at, at Twin Rivers? Uh, it's a big place. We have 500 acres. Um, but you know, California land is a little different from East mm. Coast, so it's not not grassy or anything. Um, we've got we've got a really lovely front field. Uh, it's probably twenty acres of uh, some really beautiful California brown grass, <laughs> also also known as weeds. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I you know, know. We get, get that down here plenty. Do you send? Do you have anywhere else that you send your young horses to? You know, for like. Is there anywhere there that's accessible to get granny grass or you just have to bring hay in and feed them? Um, I mean, we have, um, there are farms that, hold on one second. I'm on a conference call. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, Multitasking. Uh, we have some farms that we can, you know, that, that irrigate and you can pay high board at those types of places, but um it's not really super accessible no especially for the young horses <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i mean it's it's really not not that uh available to us so you know just finding pasture here is is hard enough as it is so i do have my parents uh where i grew up we have uh, another 10 acres um that's on real um beautiful hilly land um that does have some grass doesn't necessarily stay green but it's it's not it's not the typical weeds it's actual grass um and uh, i keep some of my babies over there but the fencing is starting to go down the the tubes and that becomes expensive and yada yada so i've got most of them here at twin rivers now we um we actually would kayla and i were just talking about a question we received about a lady with her two-year-old and she was asking us about feeding and um, you know, moving in and with older horses, I thought I'd just, you know, refresh that question and just check out what you feed. Like, let's say, for example, yeah, two-year-old, um, you know, they're in with a few other horses, I'm guessing, and what sort of feeding would they be on? I mean, you know, you try not to give them, I try not to give them too much alfalfa. I'm not going to say they don't get any, but um, the alfalfa out here can get quite rich, uh, very different from what I've you know, I think if you guys saw our alfalfa here, you would be 
you wouldn't even recognize it because when we go your way, we we don't consider that alfalfa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's stemmy uh, grass hay <laughs> out here. Yeah, exactly. Your, yeah, exactly. So yep. our alfalfa is is you know like a true legume. It's uh, uh, leafy and green and uh, very rich in protein and um, all that. So we try not to give them too much of that. Uh, of course, they love it, but um, too much is not really that good for them. Um, and then just trying not to get them too fat, really just keeping them at a, you know, a kind of a lean weight so that they're not, uh, because they don't have as much pasture space and room to move around. Um, you know, you just try not to let them get too overweight. Well, I'm glad you said pretty much the same things as us. So otherwise you would have made it look really <laughs> <Yeah>. bad. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> I might know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, why did you pick chilly morning and uh, to to breed to, and then why did you keep Coronado as a stallion? Uh, well, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I was competing his mother. Um, I competed his mother at Kentucky in 2010, and then um, and I it was my first Kentucky myself, um, and I bred his mother. Um, I, ha- I rode hit- I rode the grandmother um, at Young Riders when I was a kid, and then yeah. um, I bred her to uh, Starman, who yeah. Ann Krasinski won the silver medal at the Seoul Olympics on, um, it, for show jumping. Um, and my mare Estrella was a super show jumper herself. She um, she never hardly ever had a rail her whole career. Um, so I, my first Kentucky, I, you know, made some amateur mistakes and was anxious to get back, but her soundness was a little dicey. Um, so 2012, I was trying to get her back to Kentucky this again, and it was kind of looking a little dicey and a uh, chilly morning was going to be there. And I was joking that if I could just get her there and get her through the first jog and somehow accidentally <laughs> let loose of her, <laughs> that maybe that would be worth the, the, the flight there, you know? <laughs> so, um, of course, I mentioned that to any, anyone that I mentioned it to. They did not think it was funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's every uh, event um, I mean, organizer's worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought it was a great idea, but nobody thought that was funny. So, anyways. I, I mean, I think a, free breeding, joke. so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyways, but that kind of lit the, the thought process. And Estrella, my mare, was not, you know, dressage was not her thing. She was more of a show jumper. A uh, great cross-country horse, but, you know, really bred to be a show jumper. Um, and then Chilly Morning went that year and I think won the dressage or was right up there. And uh, so that kind of just fueled my fire for that's exactly what I want, an event horse that does dressage, you know. Um, yep. So then I kind of pursued the idea um, and there was no Chilly Morning semen imported into the U.S. at that time. Um and so a group of friends of, and I went in together and tried to endeavor on um, importing a big, uh, a bulk amount of it for, for us to use privately. There was, I think, five or six of us involved, and we got about 30 doses um, directly from um, the stud. And I don't remember who exactly it was at the time. Anyways, it was a big pain in the butt and took us uh, a lot of time. And we started the process in April and we didn't get, you know, we didn't finish. Actually, I think 
might have been the following year that we got it all finally sorted out. Um, anyways, by the time we did that, um, it cost us a fortune. We had to ship it in ourselves, and the whole process was a, was long and tedious and expensive. And of the 30 doses that we imported, uh, we used most of it, and my foal was the only one to come to fruition. So wow, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if That's the semen was bad quality to begin with, or if something happened to it in route of shipping, or yeah. I don't know. But all I know is that we basically shot 30 doses of semen down the toilet, and I got lucky and got one baby. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. um, well, I can see why you born. kept him a stallion. <laughs> Survival of the yeah, fittest. so then I was on vacation. Uh, he was my mare's second uh, baby. And I was on vacation in Coronado and, um, I was supposed to be, he was due that day, June 21st. Uh, but his, his sister, the, his older sister was born like three weeks late of the due date. So I thought, oh, I'll be home on the due date, you know, ha ha, he won't be born then. Well, <laughs> of course he was born <laughs> on the due date while I was in Coronado. <laughs> so uh, and then he has this funny little splash white spot on the back of, he has three tall stockings and then the one brown leg has, has a big white splash on the back of his knee, like an island. So that seemed to be his name right off the bat. Um, anyways, but yeah, um, it was a process and he, you know, I basically cried when I found out he was a boy because <laughs> that, that put an end to my breeding program. I mean, I dreamed about him being, I've never actually bred a colt. I've always had fillies and, I guess I just got spoiled and assumed he would be a silly. <laughs> and when he was born a boy, I just basically couldn't believe it and never wanted a stallion ever. Um, but he never put a foot out of place and never did anything wrong. And I mean, nobody even hardly knew he was a stallion. So he just got to uh, live his life as a stallion for quite a long time. He's a lucky, he's a lucky man. So you, Pick the breed yeah. of the early morning a lot on, you know, the quality of the stallion and, you know, he was good on the flat and he was obviously already competing at the highest level. Um, did you sort of – he was having a few – a rail here or there at that point in his career. Were you sort of – was that at the back of your mind or were you like, oh, well, I've got so much jumper blood and quality show jumping from Estrella. Um, you weren't really too worried about that? Yeah, I mean, Estrella and Estrella's mom – uh, Estrella's mom was a thoroughbred and I don't think I ever had a rail on her Yeah, and I never had a rail on Estrella and, um, her father was the show jumper. I mean, I mean, the show jumping is, if, if anything, I was really kind of thinking I wanted to breed something that could be a show jumper, but hopefully would also event. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, I know the dressage for her was kind of gone out the window. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> and her mother as well. So the, the dressage down her line wasn't super great. Um, now, ironically, um, Coronado is a beautiful mover. Uh, Must have got that from the dad because that didn't come from mom. Um, and he passes that on so far. I've, I mean, all of the babies that I can tell all have really nice, uh, beautiful canners and, and excellent trots. So uh, that must that's nice to know that that's passing on. And, and did you look too much into the bloodlines of Chilly Morning or were you like, oh, yeah, there's a Grand Prix 
uh, jumper for a mum and, you know, it's Oldenburg. Yeah, that's good enough for me based on what you saw with his performance. Yeah, honestly, I think at that time I uh, I was just enamored with the concept of it uh, being an, a five-star event stallion. Yeah, um, fair enough. When we ordered the semen at that time, I guess he he didn't get around Kentucky that year, but then he went on to win early was yeah. it the next year or badminton or whatever it was i can't remember yeah, um so by the time i by the time i bred him bred her he had already gone on to win badminton i think so yeah. um and i wasn't really too worried about it at that point i think i was more just enamored with the concept of it um based on what my mare had done and you know i was kind of willing to, to throw the gamble in there and just see what i because I, I know you get a lot of people that uh a lot of the breeding experts will voodoo you for uh, competition. You know, heart doesn't matter. You got to go back to the old bloodlines and and such. And maybe that's true, but I just I couldn't pass up the opportunity. So uh, I think yeah. Well, it turns out you made the right call. You just have to look at some of those uh, multi-million dollar thoroughbred cults with the perfect breeding that amount <laughs> that to nothing. Don't run. And you sometimes you've just got to breed to the the group one, the grade one winner. Yeah, exactly. And I've always liked um, trying to do similar confirmation. You know, I try to try to um, improve what I can, but also accentuate what I already have. Um, I don't like trying to go complete opposites on things. And I thought Chile was a pretty uh, balanced. Uh, reflection of my mare um he was taller and leggier and but the same kind of short coupled and um had a better neck um you know but all the all the things that my mare already had he kind of had the same things and maybe in a slightly better version um so i like that um a lot of the big warm blood stallions seem to be a bit long and you know a little bit too opposite for my mare she was short coupled and um, I just didn't want to get anything too lanky for her. So yeah. you were you were basically just trying to improve on on what she already had instead of trying to change something completely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm ha- everything she had was great. She just wasn't a great mover, and maybe could use a bit more neck length. Um, yeah. and everything else about her was already everything I would want. Um, and honestly, I think Coronado is is exactly that he's he's got the short back long legs beautiful neck i mean he's uphill and his trot got improved <laughs> so, I'm, <laughs> I'm so he went to his first show this weekend yep i finally uh finally got uh, around to i i did i was a bit slow with training him um, in the beginning, just because I've never had a stallion before and I didn't want to do it wrong and whatever. So I, and then plus I just, uh, you know, flying around going to Burley with my other horse and such. <laughs> I, uh, got a little sidetracked with breaking in my baby <laughs> your, stallion. <laughs> your young stock got put to the back burner. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, and I'm not going to, not going to lie. His mother, uh, always had a wicked buck and, um, he is not short of that. Probably. <laughs> probably slightly better at it than her 
<laughs> if that's <No>. possible. <laughs> so always um, improving. He's not naughty at all, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, not naughty, but uh, definitely intimidating. I'm not. I'd be stupid to say I was not intimidated by that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I finally have uh, got him going and just, I really only just started jumping him, uh, recently, a couple of months ago. Um, and then, uh, did his first little show on the weekend. We were running it here. So I was running the show and running the back gate and trying to gather my bravery to ride my baby in his first show. <laughs> and, um, it, it all worked out really good. He was, of course, made a fool of me and was just absolutely bored and yawning the whole time and needed bigger jumps. But, <laughs> but I didn't didn't have time to wait around and put him in another class, so he just did the beginner novice. But uh, it was very easy That's for him. Awesome. Have you put him to your the mayor? I uh, was at Burley last year, uh, Indy Five Hundred. I think you came twelfth on her. Have you done any um, yeah. artificial like um, embryo transfer with her or? Are you going to think about something well, different? She, well, she has turned to be uh, quite, I did try. Um, I tried to breed him to her, but she never gave me an embryo. Um, mm. And I don't believe it was his fault because um, I just never got an embryo. Um, and then I've just now, uh, during all this COVID, I've sent her to uh, the vet and she's, I'm doing the ICSI um, oocyte retrieval thing. And she's been there for three months now and has been a real pain in their butt for that as well and doesn't want to cooperate even for that. So I do believe it was her fault. <laughs> um, <laughs> she says no babies uh, for but, her. What yeah, exactly was that ICOSide thing? Yeah, it's, uh, it's like IVF for horses. So okay. um, they go in and they just collect the uh, oocyte, they collect the follicles, they yeah. collect the oocytes off the follicles and then um, direct the semen directly into the eggs um, and grow the embryo in a petri dish, and then transfer that embryo into a reset mare. Um, it can be hard on and, those uh, five star mares that are so fit. I know um, Chris Burton's yeah. London horse had a lot of problems with that. And so the, the the benefit to it is is that if you can get them to cooperate, your chances of getting multiple embryos is is a lot higher. Um, and then you can either use multiple recent mares or you can freeze the embryos and use next year. Um, I guess there's a lot of options, but uh, of course, Indy doesn't even want to have multiple um, <laughs> follicles. So, <laughs> so Andrew, so if, um, if any of our listeners out there have a lovely mare and they want to get some uh, Coronado semen, where can we find you at? twinrivershorsepark.com uh, or on Facebook or is there any other way yeah. I should get in contact with you? Yeah, all the all the above. Uh, I have a personal Facebook page and then Coronado has a Coronado-Chili-Morning-Stallion or something like that Facebook page that I've got a lot of pictures of him and his babies and he's got two, two crops of babies on the ground already um, and they're all lovely, um, all of them, so... That sounds awesome. Well, if anyone wants to, uh, to go to a stallion with four and five star bloodlines on both sides, and as we've just heard, an absolutely wonderful temperament, get in contact with Andrea. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Andrea. Yeah, thank you for having me. Welcome, Mark Donaldson from Unionville Equine Associates. 
Now, before we get stuck into it, I'm just wondering if you would be willing to start up a new reality show. We've had a lot of fans uh, asking us about you and, you know, actually wanting to just almost spin it off to be a bit more about you. Well, uh, I think it'd be a good idea. I I like to keep my career options open. (laughs) Veterinary medicine thing that I have doesn't really work out for me. Then it'd be good to have a fallback option. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. So let's get stuck into talking about gut health, I guess, with the focus on breeding and sales. We've had a few people talking about, you know, moving horses to new places. Uh, You know, what do they do with their new horse? Uh, And it's, especially let's say if they're bringing a horse over from Europe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where, where I guess we'll probably start with, you know, feed. What are we, what are we looking at to do there? Yeah. So a good question, how to keep the, how to keep their stomach intestines happy in a, in a new environment. Uh, I think if they're in a new environment, the most important thing is to find out what the old environment was like, you know, what was their feed and, and hay and exercise and turnout uh, routine like. So I think when acquiring a new horse, as much information as possible that you can gather so that you can simulate or make a slow transition from whatever that previous situation was, because if you bought the horse and liked it, then must have been going well for the horse, whatever they were doing. So, and obviously horses coming from Europe into the United States are going to go through a lot of changes in the climate and diet and everything else. So whatever we can do to minimize that change or do it slowly, I think it is a good place to start. Yeah. That, um, you know, let's say they're coming off the racetrack. They've been stabled on a high grain right. diet. How would you, how would you sort of Trans- suggest transitioning there? Yeah, that's, uh, Actually, you would think that uh, that would be a, a good thing. In other words, if they're on a high grain diet, and then now you're going to introduce uh, hopefully uh, less grain, more fiber, that generally should be a good a good transition for the horse. Um, fiber obviously being healthier for their gut than carbohydrates, pure carbohydrates. Um, so that's generally a good transition. Is that the same for Kayla as well? Less carbs, more fiber? (laughs) (laughs) I eat my bran flakes, okay? Like an 80-year-old woman, I'm happy on my bran flakes. Fiber is good with me. (laughs) Let's not stress her too much. That's when she starts going to the carbs. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. But but turning out for most horses, you know, if they're, uh, you know, turnout is a great, great way to heal ulcers, except for that rare horse that, you know, has anxiety about being out in the big, you know, a big field alone, you know, whatever that doesn't work well. So you have to, Mm. you know, obviously listen to what they, they like, but in general, uh, turnout is good for those off the track thoroughbreds that, that may have ulcers from their confinement and diet and stress. So now, okay, Mark, you just did a vetting for me. I bought a lovely young thoroughbred and he was on the skinnier side. We all, you know, noted that I'm just going to, you know, say I'm having trouble getting him to eat. Oh, okay. So, and I know he was on, you know, he's probably on something high energy, very sweet. 
Um, I tend to not feed a lot of sugar because I've had horses in the past that are, you know, have metabolic issues. Um, but I, but I do have a feed that I'm comfortable with the amount of sugar and starch in it that I'm Mm -hmm. feeding. And he seems to be okay on it, but he's so slow. So I guess my question is like, do I go back to feeding him what he's more comfortable eating just to get the calories in or do I, you know, just kind of hold tight, treat his stomach with some prescription meds, holistic meds, um, and just hope that, you know, with the amount of hay that I'm feeding him, which he is eating, that he will pick up on his his grain. Yeah, I, my wife had a, a horse that uh, struggled with his appetite and uh, performed very well, but then would lose weight around competition or times of stress. And we were really messing with his diet and trying this feed and trying that feed. And uh, out of frustration, I threw up my hands and I said, you know what, just feed him what he likes, you know, find out what he likes and just feed him that. And, and there is a certain palatability factor for feeds. And some of that I think does happen to have to do with sugar. I mean, you know, that they always go towards the 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 part of the pasture that has the sugar rich grass and they're going to take the hay if given a choice the one that probably has more sugar in it and maybe true of the grain too and temporarily yeah you may and he may be used to a feed that had high high sugar content that's possible um given his history so maybe for a short time until he adjusts then then maybe maybe go back to something that although it might not be ideal long-term, maybe okay short-term while you slowly make that transition. So although the, the new feed that you're given might be uh, from a health standpoint ideal, if he's struggling because it just isn't as much fun as the, <laughs> the dessert that he's used to, you know, it's like, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't want to eat our vegetables. We, we want to just go right to dessert. And maybe he's got a, sort of the same feeling. I mean, I do love so, Snickers, so I love my Snicker oh, bars. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Life's uncertain. You have to eat dessert first. <laughs> so, anyway, so yeah, I think I think you have a good point there. Is, you know, you, you, and maybe that's okay for a short time or as part of the transition. You know, especially if you you're good about your health care that you've sort of identified any other health issues you think you know you think might be present. I remember now, talking to a, a groom for a five star event rider, and. He, his, one of his top horses at the time would really be so fussy at competitions and barely eat. And he would put a couple different buckets out with the different types of feed. Um, yeah. So that, and just really see, okay, what's the horse feeling like today in this mood or what his gut's feeling like? And he can just have that today and then, yeah, go back to normal at home. I mean, yeah, that's they not- may be telling you something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad idea, you know, just get what you can in and then <laughs> keep it the same at home. But yeah. um so Mark, with what are your thoughts on treating ulcers holistically versus prescription? Or or yeah, an that's a, improper what pH is, balance. What does the science say? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a step back even from that, and I'm gonna say, do we know that the horse has ulcers, and and put a plug in for having a gastroscopy done? And I, the reason that I do that is that if 
uh, well, if you scope the horse's stomach, which, you know, for your listeners that haven't had that done, it's, you know, done on the farm frequently. It's done with some light sedation, putting a tube like you would when you're tubing a horse with fluids. So it's not that, uh, it's minimally invasive. It doesn't take very long, 15 minutes maybe. Um, so getting that procedure done, I think can be really useful because I find that when I see the ulcers and the owner sees the ulcers, everyone becomes more committed to, to ensuring that the best treatment is given and that we follow up to make sure it's taken care of. And then alternately, sometimes we're surprised. We go in there and we look and we're like, Hey, look at that stomach. It's pristine. It's clean. There's nothing there. Everything's fine. And that's really actually useful information too, because we were about to spend some money on a treatment that, well, now it looks like that was unnecessary. And then it begs the question, well, if the horse doesn't have ulcers, what is causing the weight loss, the poor behavior, the, the grumpiness, whatever the, the main issue is? So, and relative to the cost of some of the, the uh, approved, uh, noted to be effective medications, the, the scoping of the stomach, the gastroscopy, is, uh, is not nearly that expensive. So I, I think it's something to seriously consider. I think the, the knowledge of what's going on there will help guide uh, the therapy. And your question, you know, if there are severe ulcers, well, then maybe we really should be talking about using the best medication that is proven, scientifically proven, and uh, with, you know, good clinical trials to document that it's effective, not just, um, you know, the best trainer around saying this is what I use and I think it's good. You know, and that's, that's useful information, but I want something that the science says is working, which may be expensive. And that's the last thing is that if you are going to be committed to, to using something that, that's known to be effective, well, is it necessary? And if you're going to go through that effort of, of paying for something, um, then let's make sure that it's, that it's, uh, that it's necessary and it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I know so many people that uh, will just treat him for ulcers uh, and they they don't even know if it has ulcers. They just go, oh, he's a bit anxious or stressed and let's just give it ulcer guard. And, you know, it's quite, like you said, right. expensive and without diagnosing yeah. anything. That totally I makes so. sense. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. And uh, if, it, if it's not necessary, well, then you probably just, wasted a lot of money on what is it It could be a pricey medication well i will say okay so what was it when we looked at ripley's back mark we probably about 10 years ago now and i had been treating his stomach for close to a year um with off-brand omeprazole and we finally scoped him and we you I just remember this very, very clearly. You said to me, you turned to me and said, that is the healthiest stomach I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was like, well, crap. Like, <laughs> because he's not feeling very good. We're clearly here because of an issue. And I was sure that we were going to see something That's in their stomach. Good. And, you know, and it was, it was healthy tissue and then we diagnosed him with kissing spine. So, you know, not saying that it's always going to be kissing spine, but that, you know, there are other things that attribute to, you know, he wasn't holding weight, which we changed his diet and then he was pleasantly plump for the rest of his life. And, you know, but 
I don't know. I think that the scoping is worth it. Um, I have also been known myself to treat horses without it, you know, like this off the track thoroughbred that it's very common for them to have ulcers that I don't, Mm -hmm. it hurts. And maybe that's just me being naive, but I don't think that it hurts to give them a little omeprazole, just make their tummy feel as good as possible. And then if you don't see results within, you know, X amount of weeks, you know, we need to look beyond that. Am I wrong in my thinking? No, I don't think so. I think I mean any decision you make is a risk benefit. Then you're thinking, well, the, you're you're saying, hey, the risk of treating with omeprazole is low, and I, I would agree. It's it's generally a very safe medication, and and the potential benefit is high. So I don't think it's inappropriate to do that. Um, but then, if you didn't get the response that you that you were anticipating, then it's certainly worth uh, taking the next step and saying, okay, are we really are we treating the right thing or have we treated it adequately? So, yeah, every decision we make is sort of a have to weigh the, the, the risks and the risks and the benefit and maybe the, the, uh, the, the likelihood of the problem. Do you talk to clients about how the horse is being kept? If they do have, like, let's say that you do find an ulcer issue, do you look at whether it's stable versus paddocked or are you mainly then looking at the diet? No, no, it's, it's, I try to talk to them about the, the whole picture, you know, and, and uh, you know, my comment before about, you know, ensuring adequate, you know, turnout. Um, but I have had certainly made that suggestion, like, hey, make sure that this horse is getting, you know, adequate amount of time at pasture. And, uh, you know, there are those occasional horses that really don't uh, don't enjoy that, <laughs> you know. They just they're they're nervous when out, or they want to be out for mm-hmm. a couple hours, and and then they start walking the fence line and and mm-hmm. pawing or whatever, and that that can't be you know good for them either. So I think a good owner trainer will be uh, sensitive to what the what makes the horse uh, happy and and calm and relaxed. And I think one of the big challenges though with some of the horses, uh, especially the more sedentary or the ones with the slower metabolism, not the opposite of the off the track thoroughbred is that, you know, what if they have a slow metabolism, have a tendency towards ulcers. And then we're saying, Hey, you want to, you want to try to keep feed in front of them all the time, you know, hay in front of them all the time. And, uh, that's, that's a hard balance. If the horse happens to be overweight with the off the track thoroughbred, it's not as big a, a deal. Cause it seems like, mm-hmm. you know, keeping hay in front of them all the time is, is a great thing for them. You know, right. all that, all that, all that forage is really good for their stomach and they, they rarely did they get overweight quickly. So it's a nice, a nice way to manage it just by providing a lot of forage or a lot of turnout. And where would you go after you've done your gastroscope, haven't found any ulcers, the owner says, Oh, well, my friend on Facebook says it's in the hind gut. And you can't see that on a scope. <laughs> I should give it this supplement. Um, right. You know, where do you go from there? I'm, I'm not saying uh, that none of, none of those work, but is there any things? Where do you go next? Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, I, I think the personal opinion is that the 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 um, uh, prevalence of hindgut ulcers sort of. Uh, has increased a lot. I don't actually, I shouldn't say that the, the um, perceived uh, problem with hindgut ulcers seems to have increased over the last five or 10 years in association with a uh, effort to um, convince us all that there's a medication out there that will, will treat them. 
And I'm a little bit, to be honest, skeptical about that. Um, and so when I, when I hear if the horse doesn't have gastric ulcers and we're concerned about the rest of the intestinal tract, which is a, a big thing that we can't easily evaluate, one thing that I talk to them about is, is a diet and whether there's a possibility of a, um, uh, inability of the horse to digest a component of its feed. Does it have an allergy um, or an intolerance mm. to a certain component of its diet? Like some horses, you know, struggle to, to digest soy uh, or corn or oats or something like that. And so I put some horses on a, what's called an elimination diet. So I'll feed them hay and oats, nothing but hay and oats for a month. And very few deficiencies will exist in a month of hay and oats. Horses lived on it for centuries. So, mm-hmm. but what it tells us is that if all of a sudden that horse seems to have less irritability or colic or inappetence or whatever on this new simple bland diet, then you might start thinking, okay, is there something in that grain that the horse uh, can't digest? And should we look for something that we add something slowly back to this horse's diet until maybe we start to see the recurrence of, of that problem and say, okay, hey, that's what it is. Or that feed it doesn't like, but this feed it does. So it's a simple, easy, inexpensive thing to do. To, it's called an elimination diet. Eliminate everything. Take away the supplements. Take away all that stuff. Hay and oats, good quality hay. and um, Or even just, a, even just a alfalfa hay for a short time has high protein, you know, it's a, it's a good feed and a lot of horses do remarkably well on it. And that might let us know what's going on. Well, uh, yeah, I certainly would have thought about that, uh, as, as the next step. That's a good thinking rather than just, yeah, going straight away to spending money on the latest and greatest supplements, you know, most of which are unproven yet. Um, except for all the good reviews they get. But uh, thank you very much for coming on again, Mark. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. This has been fabulous. So you can find Mark Donaldson at ueavet.com uh, or you can reach him on his cell phone, 610-476-1784. Uh-oh, uh-oh, it's out there. Oh, no. And, uh, so it's good to get that yeah common sense approach towards gut health and actually yeah really looking for the root cause before we go in and treat something which i think is you know what i wanted to talk about because i feel that's so common today is treating a problem when we don't really know what it is yet right 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 thank you very much for that have a good day thank you Well, that was a great show, Charlie. Um, so you can find me at Facebook, Kayla Benny or Selkuth, S-E-L-C-O-U-T-H, Sport Horses. That's also SelkuthSportHorses.com. And Charlie, where can they find you? The internet. <laughs> BristolEquestrian.com or my Bristol Equestrian Facebook page. And also Bristol Equestrian on Instagram. And you can check out all the photos and videos of horses i have for sale and the weird and wacky socks i wear in the morning i saw you had some unicorn farting rainbow socks this morning yeah i taught a clinic on sunday and there was this really cool uh, young girl i think she was like 11 or 12 on on this pinto pony that was trying to buck her off the whole time but <laughs> she rode like a champion and at the end i uh, came up and get she's like oh i heard you like 
with socks and this 12-year-old entrepreneur has got a sock company and has pink socks with unicorns farting on them and of course the farts are rainbows so of course of course they are a perk so where where can we find these socks that is harper lola and Mm. yeah i'll get it i'll send you a photo thought it was pretty cool we'll put it we'll put it on our facebook uh page for the sales and breeding show because I yeah. saw them and they're pretty epic. So we need to support yeah. young entrepreneurs. Oh, well, I agree. The more socks she sells, the more writing lessons she can have. <laughs> it's a win-win. And so you can find the links to today's guests and show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can also follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can have all the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search search, search <laughs> Horse Radio Network. And thanks to our sponsors, Supreme Top Form. They're really the ones bringing home the bacon, helping us keep the show on the road. Selkuth Sport Horses on the eastern shore of Maryland. And myself, Brister Equestrian, down here in the land down under. All right. Well, remember, riding like life doesn't need to be perfect to be wonderful. Give your horse a pat after every ride. That's right, folks. Ride, eat, nap, repeat. 